This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. Hello, and welcome to a brand new season of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I am your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. If you're a new listener joining us for the start of Season 2, welcome. And if you're joining us after listening to Season 1, we're so happy to have you back. Each week, you could find my byline on coverage of the city, the local film and television industry, and my TV Hunter column over at starnewsonline.com. But for the next 10 weeks, you're going to be able to find me right here, sharing a new collection of stories from the local history books of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures. Last season, we told a series of diverse stories that highlighted familiar favorites from the region, like the Mako Lights and Samuel Jocelyn, and also highlighted a few forgotten pieces of local history, like the life of Abraham Galloway and the strange disappearance of Theodosia Burr Alston. This season, we're going to continue that diversity of storytelling with topics that you may know and even more that you may know nothing about. We'll dart across the region to tell the stories of a socialite turned Confederate spy, a bloody massacre at a Revolutionary War tavern, the history of local piracy and the legend of an island of treasure, and the peculiar life and mysterious death of the hermit of Fort Fisher. And that's just half of our season of tales. But first... We are going to usher in this new collection by heading back to the Roaring Twenties for a story so big, it literally broke the pavement in downtown Wilmington. As always, I will begin each episode this season by sharing with you the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend. And then I'll bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to continue the discussion and explore whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for the season premiere of Cape Fear on Earth as we head under the big top for the amazing and ground-shaking journey of Topsy, the escaped circus elephant. We closed out our first season by telling the stories of three almost mythical creatures, that are said to have terrorized and stalked areas of the region over the past century. The stories of the shaggy-haired Santer, Willie the snake-like sea serpent, and the beast of Bladenboro have all been formed over time by the fragmented pieces of gossip, fear, and excitement, all of which can leave the truth as a footnote. But the story we're going to talk about today unequivocally happened. In fact, the accounts of the exhaustive search and rescue mission to save Topsy the Elephant can be found in the October 1922 editions of the Wilmington Morning Star, if you know where to look. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's begin our story on Monday, October 9, 1922, the day the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus unfurled the striped doors of its big top tent, set up at 13th and Ann Streets in downtown Wilmington. The circus had a storied history, but it didn't have a spotless one. Despite being founded by Carl Hagenbeck, an animal trainer who defiantly opposed fear-based training tactics, the circus had suffered a double dose of tragedy in the decade before Topsy's story begins. In March 1913, the circus lost eight elephants, 21 lions and tigers, 
and ate horses when the Great Flood of 1913 crippled parts of the country. Just five years later, the circus was struck an even more devastating blow when its 26-car train was rear-ended outside Hammond, Indiana by another train whose throttlemen had fallen asleep. In the crash, the back four sleeping cars were pulverized by the force of the collision, and the gas lamps lighting them ignited a fire that quickly spread. More than 80 people died that night, within the first 30 seconds of the crash. 127 others were injured in what is still one of the most deadly train collisions in American history. Most of the dead were so badly burned, they were never identified and buried in a mass grave as unknowns in Showman's Rest, a plot of land in Woodlawn Cemetery in Illinois, purchased by the Showman's League of America as a final resting place for circus performers. The burial ground, still open today, is ensconced by five stone elephant structures, all standing in a mourning pose. This is all to say that when the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus rolled into Wilmington in the fall of 1922, citizens likely knew its name. The press touted out ahead of the circus's opening on October 9th, promised a thrilling attraction, and reports from the day say it didn't disappoint. In addition to elephants, the circus boasted zebras, cattle, a hippopotamus, lions, tigers, bears, and monkeys. After well-attended shows on October 9th, animal handlers were loading the show's elephants back into their cars when the incessant barking from a pack of dogs unsettled Topsy, a four-ton centerpiece of the show. Topsy had been purchased in 1902 from India and brought to America to be trained. Before joining the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus, she performed with Barnum and Bailey and appeared at the Bronx Zoo. But on that day in Wilmington, spooked by local canines, she broke free of her confinement and fled into the night. Within the hour, reports began to trickle in of a large animal stomping through residence yards. One woman called the police claiming an unknown beast was munching in her garden and wanted it removed. Within hours, more sightings were being phoned in. There were reports of loud crashing and thumping in the darkness, damaged fences and crushed automobiles, and even one false claim of an earthquake. The man who had fled into the street screaming earthquake had actually been the unfortunate victim of Topsy bumping into his house, sending a tremble through his residence and knocking down a porch pillar. One historian even found claims the elephant had eaten a flock of chickens, when, in actuality, she had just stepped on them. Topsy's most destructive stop was at Eureka Pressing Company at 2nd and Dock Streets, where she bowled through the store's glass window, doused merchandise with colored dye, and leaned on a structural brick wall, causing it to crumble. By the early morning hours, the likely confused and exhausted Topsy had visited countless corners of the downtown area and then made her way south towards Greenfield Lake and its surrounding swamps. In those murky waters, she must have found a sense of comfort because she jumped in. It's there authorities, trainers, and looky-loos managed to find her by dawn. Unfortunately, her plunge into the water and efforts to find a safe, quiet refuge left her tangled in the cluttered abyss. As crowds gathered to watch the rescue effort, Officer Leon George entered the waters to help free Topsy, at the risk of running into an alligator or two. She did most of the work on her own, of course, grasping nearby trees with her trunk and pulling herself free one step at a time. George, for his part, seemed to be there for moral support and encouragement. 
Eventually, she made her way out of the muck and was led to a quiet patch of trees nearby with peanuts and apples, where she was fastened and allowed to rest up for the walk back to her train car. But what handlers thought would calm her and make the return journey easy really just re-energized her adventurous spirit. Whether it was the cheers of the crowd that followed her back, or she was just still itching to do a little sightseeing, it was just a few feet away from her car that Topsy slipped her handlers once again and made a dash for the Cape Fear River. Striding up to the dock, she leapt off and fell into the river, swimming across to Brunswick County and disappearing into the brush. The search resumed for Topsy, drawing more news coverage and igniting more local interest in the effort. As a side note, the coverage of Topsy's ordeal provides interesting insight into news coverage of the day. One might think that the stories of a full-grown elephant stomping through the port city might garner ample space on the front page of the Wilmington Morning Star. But after some digging, the first story written about her escape, published on October 11th, can actually be found on page 12. None of her stories actually made the front page. Topsy was eventually found again. This time, her feet were shackled until she could be safely loaded into her car for transport and follow the rest of the circus, which had set off earlier in the week to keep their engagement with new audiences. What happened to Topsy the elephant is not known, though she likely had few days with such excitement as she did during her excursions in Wilmington in 1922. Her rampage resulted in more than $7,500 in damage claims levied at the circus, a steep price some 90 years ago. But no one was hurt, save for those chickens. Her story made the rounds in the papers across the country, and even popped up as a cartoon on the front page of the Evening Star out of Washington, D.C. In the drawing, which was published weeks before that year's midterm election, Topsy is seen being loaded into her car, as the Democrat's donkey turns to Uncle Sam and says, that's an example for you to follow next month. Where she ended up, it's hard to know. But there's at least some indication she had a rebellious streak in her all along. The final line of the Wilmington Morning Star's October 11th article on the escape intriguingly reads, quote, several years ago, the animal rampaged in Florida for nine days before it was caught. After living a life of captivity, can we really blame Topsy for wanting to go sightseeing? Joining me now to talk more about Topsy's story is Jan Davidson, the museum historian at the Cape Fear Museum here in Wilmington. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jan. Sure, I'm glad to be here. So before we get back into Topsy's story, I just told our listeners um, her very adventurous few days here in Wilmington. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about going to the circus in that time period. Um, I imagine it's far different than what people would picture as a modern day circus. But, you know, was it a popular attraction? Did people look forward to the circus? What what would a circus in 1922 or even in the first part of the 20th century look like here in Wilmington? So circuses were the nation's most popular entertainment at the turn of the 20th century because you don't have radio at that point, you don't have TV, you don't have much movies going on. By the 1920s, there's a little bit more competition, mm -hmm. but there's tr this um, tradition, it's sort of this mass entertainment that sparks great enthusiasm amongst folks around the country. Americans invent the traveling circus, 
where the whole circus train pulls up, um, the animals get out, there's a parade around town, and then there's actually a couple of performances. Yeah. So thousands of people come to town for the circus, um, and you, it's this combination of free and paid entertainment because the parade is free. And the parade is this, we're going to show you the elephants, we're going to show you the wild animals, which were one of the big attractions, we're going to show you the horses, we're going to show you some of the clowns, we're going to show you, give you this little preview. But again, without radio or TV, you can't do that in a different way, in a recorded way. So you do it live on the city streets. And places like Wilmington were on the railroad. They were big enough to, to attract a big crowd. In 1922, when Topsy was in town, the steamer Wilmington sent a excursion ship up from from Southport for the circus. So they're bringing people in. There are trains sometimes that are, um, they're specially commissioned trains that come um, and half price fares, excursion fares to get people into town for the circus. Oh, wow. So it's a big deal in that time frame as a form of entertainment. It sounds like it. I mean, you think of Wilmington kind of as a smaller city now compared to some of the other ones that would get big entertainment venues or events. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the, the railroad was such a big deal here that it did provide, you know, such a, an entry point, I guess, to Wilmington. Would it? How long would a circus be here? You know, would it be a day or two? Yeah, it's like it's in, an incredible setup and breakdown. You come one night, uh, you unload all the animals. Claude Howell, who uh, was the, an artist here, he had did this '80s story about Topsy and the circus, and he talks about getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go see the train come in. The, mm -hmm. the circus train comes to town. Mm -hmm. You set up. It's a day. You're gone, um, and they do this over and over again. So it's this incredibly like coordinated choreographed business um, that's really designed to encourage enthusiasm but also make money for the circus Absolutely. performers. Well, I mean, now I guess today people think of like the Cape Fear Fair and Expo would come into town, but they're here for, you know, a week and a half and mm -hmm. then they break it down. But, you know, that, that's kind of incredible that you're seeing this huge thing come up and then go away within a matter of hours, honestly. Yeah, it's like a 24-hour period and then they're off to Fayetteville. Wow. Or they're coming here from Raleigh or wherever exactly. it is. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to Topsy. Um, uh, but I did a lot of research into all the stories that the Wilmington Morning Star, which is the precursor to the Star News, uh, did on Topsy. And, um, or at least the, the, you know, the, the whole story of Topsy in that week in October 1922. But how much of that do we know actually happened? You know, a lot of it was just reports from people who saw her or something like that. How much of Topsy's story do we know to be true today? Um, I think that's the question about history, right? Mm -hmm. um, the sources that we have are never guaranteed. But, you know, they're good stories going to get told. So right before um, Topsy came to town, Spark Circus said, we're the only big circus coming to town in September. And then this circus shows up in October. Mm -hmm. So it's not when you read a primary source like a newspaper that's got that immediate connection, you lose the benefit of hindsight mm -hmm. into maybe learning more. But I think we can certainly see see that Topsy was here. She definitely got out. She may have been in Greenfield Lake. She may have been in the Cape Fear River. She seems to have escaped twice. Mm -hmm. She hit the Eureka.
Eureka Dye Factory. Um, later accounts, like Claude Howell's account that I was just talking about, says she ran around town covered in purple dye. So she was a purple elephant running around town. <laughs> Lovely story. I'm not sure that we have any evidence that that's true, and we don't really know where Claude came up with that. Uh, excellent visual to have, yes, honestly. Yes, <laughs> you can imagine it. And it, and it rings true, right? Yeah. Uh, elephant out roaming the streets of Wilmington and ends up in the river because they uh, enjoy water. So I think that we know for sure that there was um, a big elephant running around town for yeah. a few days. I think even the difference in journalism today, they had to tell a story because they were really the only primary source for people to hear this except for word of mouth. They had to paint the only picture for people of Topsy if they didn't mm-hmm. see her while she was roaming around. They were interesting stories to read and it got so much national attention because mm-hmm. that story uh, was was published as kind of this like can't believe this happened in newspapers across the state and even the country. Uh, so there's different accounts, but there seems to be a, a solid through line of of what seemed to happen. That yeah, day, those days. and I think so. Elephants make the papers often when they kill somebody. Yeah. And if you look at the newspaper accounts from those times, you can see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when Jumbo, who was a famous elephant that P.T. Barnum bought from the London Zoo, came over, he got hit by a train. So there are other elephant stories in the paper. And I think that this creature that people hadn't seen unless they'd been in town when a circus came to town. You know, elephants are amazing to us today, but try to imagine what it would be like to see one in 1922 when you might have read an account of it, but actually see one. So I think that there's a lot of power for those kind of exotic animals that people had this kind of fascination with. And often elephants were seen as smart, as uh, they kind of anthropomorphize the elephant in a way that makes it sort of made those connections. So the idea that Topsy got kind of irritated and ran off because some dogs barked at her, you know, it's a very appealing story. And we can all imagine that happening in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. And uh, it's like trying to relate what it would have been like to see a movie for the first time in, in, you know, in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Today, we just see them all the time. But, you know, actually seeing that on a screen was just crazy for people. I mean, they they absolutely didn't know what to kind of fathom about it. So I imagine seeing an elephant, Mm -hmm. even in person, or even just knowing that there's one down the street is Mm -hmm. this surreal idea, I bet. Yeah. I mean, when they first started showing movies at the Bijou Theater on Front Street, they literally narrated what you were seeing, because this was a visual language and a visual culture that that was so brand new, people didn't understand it. Absolutely. And and so one of the elements that I've seen, uh, as I've read more about her, is there was an officer named Leon George who seemed to have have been kind of instrumental in at least some of the rescue efforts. What was his actual role? Uh, because I saw some some varying degrees of he literally stood beside her in the in Greenfield Lake to the point that he was just one of the officers that was there. Do we know much about him? Um, we know some about him. He was. Uh, hired by the Wilmington Police Force in 1898, right after the white supremacist coup. Mm -hmm. So he'd been an officer for some time. He was also a prohibition cop. So he went out looking for people who were breaking the prohibition laws in Wilmington and New Hanover County. You may have seen an account that says he was a good tiger hunter. I did see that. So that's because he was... 
it was blind tigers is a slang term for an illegal bar. Oh wow! So I did t- not connect that. Right. So there. So he and actually has nothing to do with Topsy, but he actually got murdered with another officer in 1924 by two moonshiners. So his story. You should do another podcast about him. Actually, Absolutely. He's fascinating. Oh my god! He got murdered on this lonely road in Brunswick County. So I've seen different accounts too. Um, the way that they caught elephants was not terribly kind. Um, and I imagine that if he was there, he probably wasn't involved in the actual really recapture of Topsy because they kind of used techniques and things that I would think you would need those skills for. But well, the, I read that same story that he was kind of that she befriended him almost. And again, that's the anthropomorphization yeah. of the elephant as this gracious and wise and kind of playful animal at the same time. Absolutely. I think it's a little easier to swallow that, you know, they eventually had to use force and chains to get this animal to go back downtown Mm -hmm. to be sent away. Um, You know, I I said a little bit in in the story that the, the founder of this particular circus prided himself on using less less harsh animal training techniques. But, uh, you know, this was still an elephant mm-hmm. loose in Wilmington, North mm-hmm. Carolina. People were very eager to, one, see it, but also make sure that it didn't kill anyone, didn't, right. you know, accidentally, even just out of fear. And so it's easier to kind of not think about those, those methods that you mentioned, because in a lot of the stories I read, they simply just said they led her back with hay and peanuts and apples. I think that that's a much more palatable version of how you catch an elephant. You give it some peanuts. Oh, absolutely. Than, than using using more unpleasant methods. Absolutely. That's fascinating about Leon George. I did not know that. And I saw a little bit about him, but he was his part seemed very flowery. That mm-hmm. they, they became best friends in this whole struggle. And that's why I was curious to ask you, because, you know, one man being singled out in this whole thing seemed interesting. But it sounds like this was just a blip and a, a rather interesting life for the man. Yeah, I think so. And I think that. I think they enjoyed the play on words of that he was this prohibition cop. And so that sort of that he already had this experience with blind tigers and kind of the wild animal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen different accounts that basically said it was the trainers that caught Topsy. He might have been there. He might have. Because there there were those stories that he just like swam into Greenfield Lake, not caring about the alligators that might walk up and then just kind of coached her out of it. But I'd just be curious to know what his role was because... uh, That seems rather dangerous. I don't know if I would wade into Greenfield Lake to try and free a scared elephant. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. What do we know about what happened to Topsy? Uh, I I had some trouble trying to find information after she was loaded back on her her train car and and taken to the next stop, which would have been Fayetteville. Did she remain part of the circus? So what I found, because I was curious and you asked, (laughs) was that... um, She actually ended up going to South Carolina because the circus had already moved on in the days that she had been running around Wilmington. Um, We see Topsy at the Hagenbach Wallace Circus in Danville, where she escapes again in the following year. And there's a Topsy still with the circus in 1930. Okay. So Topsy's a pretty common name for an elephant. It is. If you web search Topsy without the word Wilmington, exactly, it becomes very, very sad. Yes, it does. So it could be a different Topsy, mm-hmm. but it seems probable that as an expensive animal who had caused some consternation but actually hadn't harmed anybody that I don't think that the Hagenbach Wallace Circus would have got rid of Topsy. Yeah. So she went on her merry way. 
I imagine, you know, getting rid of her would have been not good business sense when mm-hmm. you already had a, a, a an elephant who was trained to the way of the, you know, the circus life, even though she might be a flight risk now and then. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the the initial story on her escape, it mentioned that she had escaped for nine days in Florida the year prior to 1922. So she clearly, uh, she liked to take strolls about the town that she was in. (laughs) Yeah, with the Danville stories, they basically said she took advantage of the moment that she could escape. Most elephants, from what I've read, if they ended up at the circus, started as a circus animal young. It was much easier to train a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some elephants that were born in the U.S., but mostly you did have to Mm -hmm. import them. And I think that that's, you know, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's a financial investment that you're not going to do anything about if you can basically keep your animal most of the time. Absolutely. Just keep an extra eye on her probably. Yeah, is the it practice. sounds like she needed a, maybe an extra trainer or a few more of those peanuts. Exactly. A few more of the peanuts. Is there any other circus in Wilmington's history that caused such a commotion? I mean, I imagine that you don't see an elephant escaping every day. I don't think that you do. <laughs> um, I have not seen anything that was an animal story that's the equivalent that made as much splash in the papers, mm-hmm. apart from Trouble the Whale in 1928, which is a whale that washed up on Wrightsville Beach, and they used it as an attraction for a while, and then it started to smell, and it ended up at the State Museum in the end. But that story made the papers. There's lots of photos, mm-hmm. but... For the most part, I don't think anybody made quite the splash that Topsy did. Just like the circus, the practice of dealing with beached whales is different than it was in 1928. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank goodness, because yes. <laughs> imagine the smell now. Um, <laughs> do you think people know Topsy's story? Do you think it's well well researched or well publicized enough that people know it, or is it something that's kind of remained uh, hidden in Wilmington's past? So there's Lewis Philip Hall's uh, Land of the Golden River. Mm-hmm. It tells a version of the Topsy story that gets the date wrong and is full of um, what we would consider to be really stereotypical uh, descriptions of the townspeople. Mm -hmm. Claude Howell did this radio show in the 1980s. You know, I did a This Month in History for the museum about Circus Day, which mentioned Topsy. But no, I really think it is one of those things that, that, you know, who would tell you this story? Except when you you? know it, you want to tell everybody. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's been forgotten by many. Well, now that we've talked about it, more people might be talking about Topsy. But again, I would uh, caution you if you are searching her name online to find a picture or something, please put in Wilmington because Topsy was an unfortunately uh, popular name for elephants. And there was some even more unfortunate tales for elephants earlier in the 20th century. You know, I stumbled upon and um, was shocked immediately. But yeah, don't don't watch the YouTube. Exactly. Uh, But Topsy for us ended up being, at least for her time in Wilmington, uh, an entertaining but happy ending. You know, she she was not put down or anything. Um, she managed to have her fun in Wilmington and then head out of town. So uh, Yeah, I don't know what happened with the lawsuits. I don't know if you could figure that uh, yeah, out. Yeah, I did was, look into that. Uh, it seemed that some of them, that the, the circus was pretty well insured mm-hmm. for stuff like this. Yep. Uh, so that was probably taken care of in that. But there were a good amount of, uh, of claims because of the damage she did, especially with Eureka Pressing Company, because mm-hmm. uh, she basically just bowled through that whole building. Yep. <laughs> well, at least she had fun in Wilmington. Um, thank you so much for being here with me today, Jan. I really appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the story of Topsy the Elephant. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to be back next Thursday with a new episode where we will explore another tale from the history books. Until then... 
be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. Or you can email us your thoughts at capefearunearthed@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You should also join our Facebook group, where listeners can share their own thoughts about the region's history and ask questions about our episodes. In that group, I will also be sharing extra content each week, like pictures pertaining to the episodes, and more as the season progresses. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, you can get a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. Cape Fear Unearthed is written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com and on Twitter at Hunter Ingram SN. Additional editing for the podcast is done by Adam Fish, and this episode was recorded at WHQR Studios in downtown Wilmington. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you stream your shows so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Until next week, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you. Yeah.